The topic this morning is interacting with others, finding the higher octave. My name is Nayaswami Gandev, and I regularly teach here at the Expanding Light, as well as with my wife Narswami Diksha lead various trips abroad. You know, I was listening to a, a recording of a class by Swami Kriyananda recently, and he made the uh, remark that relationships offer the greatest joy and the greatest pain of all human experiences. <laughs> or to put it a different way, I remember at a spiritual New Week class some years ago, the topic of, a, of the entire class was inner peace, and each of the speakers was choosing a different aspect of that. And uh, one of them came up to the microphone and said, oh, my topic is relationships, which is very appropriate because there's nothing that can make you lose your inner peace faster than relationships. <laughs> but Master was very, very, uh, very, very serious about the spiritual value of relationships, especially the the relationship that he said was the purest expression of love. And so that was friendship. And I wanted to share with you a couple of quotations from this book, Spiritual Relationships. He said, Friendship is a manifestation of God's love for you, expressed through your friends, who constitute the most valuable possessions a human being can have. Interesting, the most valuable possessions a human being can have are friends. And I want to share with you a couple other quotations which uh, kind of set the tone for the talk I'd like to be giving here. In pure friendship, you will find God. If you would be a true friend, you must recognize the soul. When you consider yourself as a soul, then you can be a perfect friend. If you fail to be friendly, you disregard the divine law of self-expansion by which alone your soul can grow into spirit. By being true to yourself and a true friend to others, you gain the friendship of God. You know, and I remember a couple other quotations that I don't know if they're written somewhere, but I know that uh, Swami would quote masters often saying that uh, do not think you can win God's love if you cannot win the love of your fellow man. And another, even more striking in a way, is in order to find God, you must perfect at least one human relationship. So that's, the relationships are a high-stakes game and, and a high-prize game. I mean, just think of it. And uh, it's interesting, on, on Monday, uh, Jyotish called attention to my mathematical past. <laughs> of course, I want to point out to you that that was only arithmetic. It wasn't real mathematics. <laughs> but I can rise to the higher octave and let go of that. And what instead I'd like to do is tie up those quotations of Master into a single, neat, concise mathematical theorem. 
you will find God if and only if you perfect friendship. Because that's what Master was saying in those quotations. You will find God if you do it and only if you do it. So spiritualizing relationships is not just about you know, bringing more harmony into our lives and making our experience of life a bit more comfortable, but this is really central to our spiritual path. And how are we going to do that? Well, of course, meditation. That's so key because through meditation we can start to discard a lot of the things that keep us from, in, well, in this uh, context, that keep us from being a perfect friend. A lot of our, our habits, our misperceptions, our misconceptions, and begin to see more clearly our own soul nature and the soul nature of people. But I don't know about you, but I can't meditate all the time, or even most of the time. And I need something else to kind of uh, prime the pump for meditation to help me do what I can do to see myself and others more as a soul. And what I'd like to do in this, my short section of the, of the morning is to share with you a few very simple, very basic ideas, things that we can do during the time that we're not meditating that will not only enrich our meditations, but will help us to become more of that perfect friend that we all need to be if we want to find God. You know, Swami said that the, the core element of healthy relationships is not love. He said that it's respect. That even in an intimate relationship, even in a love relationship, the reality of it is that you're simply not going to be feeling love all the time. Sorry. Uh, but... <laughs> I'm glad that came as a surprise to her. <laughs> it's human nature. We're just not there all the time. But we do have the option, it's a choice, to have respect all the time. And it reminds me of something very mundane, but it's, it's very apropos of my high school basketball coach who would tell those of us on the team, he, he would say, some nights on offense, you're going to have a bad night. The shots just won't go in. He said, but you should never have a bad night on defense because defense is only a matter of hustle. And it's really that, that comes to the fore also when we think about expressing respect for other people, that really all it is is a matter of mustering the, mustering the energy to keep in mind our own spiritual priorities and act on them. You could call it spiritual hustle. You know, it really is just putting out the energy. I remember when I was in college, my, my roommate once said to me, said, Rich, uh, my name was Rich then, 
uh, said, Rich, you, you respect people unless they give you a reason not to. I, on the other hand, don't respect anyone until they give me a very good reason to respect them. And I was never quite sure whether he was expressing a little envy of my what I saw as my more charitable attitude, or he was pointing out my extreme naivete. And the, the discussion went in other directions, so I never quite got to resolution on that. But I really do think that uh, his view was that there was really only one possible view to have. That was his view, if you were an intelligent, rational person, because look at the facts, almost no one is worthy of respect. Well, I think the reality of it was that we were, we were both looking through the rather thick and clouded lens of personality. And that, yeah, personalities do have a lot of shortcomings, sometimes. And, you know, it's interesting, I saw that the, uh, the word, the root of the word personality, persona, is a Latin word that literally means mask. Uh, referring to theatrical mask, but I think we can also, uh, it, it applies equally well to a spiritual mask, because it hides the soul. It, it you know there are the more beautiful souls often have beautiful personalities like like master for example but even then some of the very beautiful souls have more challenging personalities like Sri Teshwar was not easy to be around all the time so there's really a difference between that personality and the soul underlying it and neither one neither my roommate or I had any inkling, I think, that there was a third possibility of how we could relate to the issue of respecting or not respecting other people. And that's what the masters do. They respect everybody all the time, regardless of what they have done or what they've not done, because they can see behind the mask. And it's not even an effort for them. They they barely even see the mask. And so for us... You know, our job is to, or a job, is to kind of dig in there behind the mask. And we can start with our own mask, because that, that quotation of master, you know, to be a true friend, you, you must consider the soul. You must be able to, to tune in to your own soul. And it's, of course, meditation is a way that we can do that. And, of course, Again, we're not meditating all the time. And if we don't meditate all the time, and we don't even think about this the rest of the time when we're not meditating, it's going to be harder to get to that place in meditation where we can see behind the mask. And that one way to begin to see behind our mask as well as other people's masks during the rest of our non-meditation time is to interact with others from the spiritual eye. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but to, when you're speaking with someone, try to speak from your spiritual eye, gaze at their spiritual eye, they won't be able to, to tell the difference. It looks just like you're looking at their eyes. But you're looking at their spiritual eye and try to speak from the spiritual eye. And when you listen, equally important, try to feel that you're listening 
through the spiritual eye, that what you hear is coming to you only incidentally through the ears, that really the main way it's coming to you is through the spiritual eye, because really it's the intention, it's the consciousness behind words that really carries meaning. And the physical ears cannot hear it, the physical mouth cannot send it, but the spiritual eye both hears and sends. So I'd like to do a little experiment with you here in just a moment. I would like you, well, let's first, uh, everyone, choose a partner near you. Choose a partner. Now, unless things are totally miraculous, there are going to be some people without partners. So I'd like those people to be invited into a group of to other people, so there'll be some groups of three. Everybody has a partner, and if you're watching online, Yogananda is your partner. (laughs) And maybe the video camera could zoom in on his photograph, where one of the other masters photographs uh, on the altar, and uh, make that a little more real to you. And what we're going to do is have a very short possibly very mundane conversation. How's the week going for you? Or what'd you have for breakfast? Or whatever you wish to talk about. Very short conversation, but in this way, where you're speaking from the spiritual eye and you're listening through the spiritual eye. And just to warm up, please put your right forefinger at the point between the eyebrows. And close the eyes, lift the gaze. Feel like you're mustering your forces at that point. Really concentrating your awareness there, concentrating your energy, your vibration there. And then put the hand back down, open the eyes, turn to a partner, and have a short conversation. (laughs) Gazing at their spiritual eye only, not the physical eyes. you have a group of three, it's time to change to your other partner. Just another moment or so. Okay. Let's stop and come back to what we're doing. Now, was that any different than a usual conversation? Were you paying closer attention? Were you possibly refraining from thinking of what you were going to say while you were listening and instead simply listen fully? You know, it's so much easier to really connect with someone in that way, and we don't have to, I mean, here you are with other people who are drawn to spiritual ways of being, but you can do this every day with anyone. You can look at their spiritual eye. You can engage from yours and simply pay them respect, not necessarily in words, but in vibration. Give them appreciation, not necessarily in words, but in vibration. And you'll notice that 
there's a lot less sarcasm happening. There's a lot less gossip happening. There's a lot more connection, real connection happening. And it's a way that we can begin to look behind that mask, to not just look but see behind that mask and bring out more and more of not only what that other person is, perhaps, but who you are, just through interaction. So the giving, the simple giving of respect. We don't always think about it, but that's really the only hard part, is remembering to do it. It doesn't require any special skill set to do it. It just requires remembering and then mustering up the energy to stay awake to our own spiritual priorities and acting on them. Another way, and I'm not talking down to anyone, I'm just saying it would be good for us to be mature human beings. (laughs) And as the way Swami put it, maturity is the ability to relate to realities other than your own. That's all it is, because this is, it's not a matter of whose reality is the right reality until we're in God. Nobody's reality is the right reality, or necessarily any better reality. But maturity is, is expansion of our awareness, more than our awareness, of our respect for other ways of seeing things. Because when we can do that, we are, it is a self-expansive way to be. I remember many years ago, a friend of mine um, had been in a meeting at which Swami Kriyananda was present. She told me about it afterwards. And uh, at the very end of the meeting, he had posed a little logic puzzle puzzle to everyone. I'm sure you've seen logic puzzles like it. Everybody in a group has either a red or a blue dot painted on their forehead. And you can see everybody else's dot, but you can't see yours. And there are certain clues given to about the number distribution of the red dots and the blue dots. And your job is to be the first one to be able to say with certainty, with correctness, uh, what color your dot is. Well, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the puzzle because most of you will be just trying to figure out the puzzle for the rest of the class and not, not listening. But Swami explained that the solution to the puzzle is the following, that you, you cannot solve the puzzle based on what you can see on the other people. Impossible. You don't have enough information. The only way to solve the puzzle is by combining, one, what you can see, and two, what someone else in the group could see if you were in their place and you know that they don't know what color their dot is or else they'd be saying something. So using that information, you can conclude what color your dot is. So Swami told the solution, everybody, the meeting dispersed, perhaps wondering why that came up. And, uh, but afterwards, he walked up to my friend, and, and said, uh, so you see, sometimes the answer lies in looking at other people's point of view rather than only your own. And he smiled and walked away. <laughs> and my friend said to me, using my razor-sharp intuition, 
I deduced that he was suggesting a correction in my behavior towards someone. <laughs> and I meditated on it, and I figured I knew who he was talking about. And I tried to look at this other situation I was in with this, with this person and try to let go of my perspective on it and look at her perspective. And gosh, the funniest thing happened. Uh, all of a sudden, number one, I started to understand how she felt. And number two, I started to lose interest in whose perspective was right. And I started to gain interest in harmony, in friendship. And it was just a, a stepping up to, to a higher octave, just a continual stepping up to a higher octave when we can look at other people's perspectives just as much as, as our own. And of course, we'd like to have someone who has a very high perspective, right? Isn't that what we'd like to do? We'd like to be relating to people who are going to kind of lift up us, us up a little bit. Well, God or the guru would be a good choice. But the challenge with that is that they're at that higher octave already, and they're not going to come down to our lower octave. Is that our job is to rise up to theirs. And again, meditation. But again, we're not meditating all the time. So what can we do the rest of our day? And Jyotish mentioned it on Monday, and Anandi mentioned it yesterday. One way is just practice the presence of God all day long, just silently, repeating a mantra, singing a chant, saying a prayer, or just having a running, running conversation with God. doesn't have to be, shouldn't be, stiff or formal in any way, just a heart-to-heart connection with feeling. You know, I uh, was reading recently, I came across a quotation from St. Teresa of Avila. And she said, Prayer is nothing else than being on terms of friendship with God. Prayer is nothing else than being on terms of friendship with God. Now, isn't that the octave that we want to live on? And you know, the good news is, it's not far away. Because Master said, to those who think me near, I will be near. You know, that octave is right there, right with us all the time. And if we'll attune ourselves to the Guru and do our job, which is to try to step up to the higher octave where the guru is at, then the guru can do his job, which is helping to lift us to that octave. He can't do it until we're attuned to it, but once we are attuned to it, or put it this way, the more we're attuned to it, the better able he is to help us. It's a, it's a, all relationships are a two-way street, and if we walk that street, it's a beautiful relationship that we can have with the divine. Good morning. You all look like rays of sunshine. My name is Kshama. I uh, hail from Palo Alto, and I had the privilege 
of the blessing of being born into a family of yogis who were given the autobiography of a yogi when I was quite small and who soon after found out about Swami Kriyananda and found out about Ananda and found their way here. Um, and so I grew up here at Ananda Village and then um, flitted off to high school and college and exploration of life and um, pretty quickly discovered there was a big empty hole uh, growing and found my way back. So um, it's beautiful to be part of this spiritual family. Um, I teach along with my husband in the Living Wisdom School in Palo Alto. And so um, you'll, you'll hear vignettes of uh, some of the children that we work with filtering into the stories today. Um, but I want to start with a story that happened this summer, and it was um, it took place because there was a, a group of uh, what we're calling the the next wave of Ananda, really just people who are inspired by what is happening and interested in continuing and supporting the growth and the um, expansion of Master's mission. Um, indefinitely moving forward. So a a small group of us gathered in Palo Alto, and uh, one of the events that happened that weekend was a concert in a plaza in downtown Palo Alto. And we arrived that evening ready to set up, and I walked into the the piazza there, and I, I almost turned around and wanted to leave. I just thought, there's no way we can sing to these people. Um, and everyone there looked like they were having a, a lovely time, almost everyone. They were window shopping and going to restaurants, and there were all these tables set up and people sitting in the piazza um, drinking coffee and eating pizza and just you know enjoying an afternoon. Um, but it, it somehow felt discordant to what we wanted to do. And then in the middle of the piazza, there was a man sitting in a chair, and he really stood out to me. He was completely alone. And he was hunched over just about as much as you can be and still be sitting, um, head in his hands. Really, it was painful to, to see him. And I just sent him a little, you know, a, a passing prayer as we started to set up. And then we um, had to go about our business getting ready. And then when the concert was ready to start, I noticed that he was still there. And he was still in the same position. He hadn't moved an hour or so later, just completely um, collapsed in on himself. And I I don't know his story before or after this moment. Um, But we started singing. When the dawn breaks and then the morning sends the sun high in the sky, there's a time for every people to affirm their destiny. He didn't move, but energetically you could feel there was like a a clearing of the mist, maybe. Um, Leave home in the sunshine, dance through a meadow, or sit by a stream and just be. The lilt of the water will gather your worries and carry them down to the sea. And this time he his head kind of raised a little bit and he just started scanning, trying to figure out where this was coming from. Um, 
my interest was thoroughly piqued, and so I just kept tuning into him while we were singing. Um, Is there anywhere on earth perfect freedom, sorrow's dearth, selfless friendship, blameless birth? Cherish these. Naught else has worth. And by this time, he was sitting up and leaning back, heart starting to open, um, not really focused in on what was going on, maybe on a conscious level, but his eyes were drifting off, maybe imagining, I don't know what. Sing of moon rays on the rain. Sing that love is not in vain. Joy must sing in the night to face change unafraid. And there were tears streaking down his face. And then, brothers, who knows the truth knows all men as brothers. Who knows the truth knows all men as brothers. And when this song ended, he stood up and he was looking directly at the choir. I can't say that he was smiling, but there was something in him that wasn't there before. And he watched us for a few more moments, and then he quietly turned and he walked away. I have no idea what his story is. We'll never know. But to be there witnessing the power of Swami's music and the power of the channels who were singing that day in the piazza, um, even if we touch just one life, we brought, we brought a change to his consciousness, to his awareness of himself, to the world around him. And it was a, a pleasure and such a joy for me to witness that transformation. Um, as disciples of Yogananda, or as truth seekers in any way, we are not only charged with walking our own path to self-realization, but we are charged with uplifting and blessing everyone that we come in contact with. Whether it's through a smile or through a song or through deep counsel, whatever it is, it's our, it's our joyful job to touch people as often as we can. Um, I've found that it's extraordinary when I am in the flow of working with my students or their parents or the wonderful teachers that I serve with, the moments when I'm, when I come to the table fully present, there's a a connection, a heart to heart, a soul to soul connection. And you can feel the power of those moments so much more strongly than when we're walking through the day and as we walk through the room, we say, hi, how are you? And we don't wait to hear the answer. But as, as Gyandev was talking about, when we stop and we um, ask, how are you? And it's coming from a place from our center that's been grown through our practices of meditation and of devotion and of centering. Um, there's a remarkable soul connection that can happen. There's a little boy in our school who, um, he's had a difficult life so far. He um, is adopted, and there are many stressors that um, 
I think, have created layers of of pain um, in his life. And so when he came to us, those there was a lot of acting out and a lot of expression of the anger that he's built up. Um, and underneath that, the sadness or the just the soul pain of whatever he's experienced. And at the beginning of the school year, there were a lot of moments where intense intervention needed to happen in order to support him in a way that everyone, himself included, and those around him were safe. And um, the teacher who was working with this child, she did something that was so powerful. Instead of starting to focus in on what was wrong or what needed changing, and certainly she addressed what needed to be addressed, but every time she talked about him and every time she looked at him and worked with him, she had the mantra, he needs more love. He needs more love. He just needs more love. And she, she commissioned all of us on the playground and anytime we were around him, fill him up with love. Um, and that took many forms. Sometimes it was simply a matter of noticing something kind that he had done or making sure that on the playground you walked by him and you said hello and you made eye contact and you gave him that moment of presence. Um, near the end of the school year, this little boy was in his classroom and it was, a, I believe, a free play period and there was another child who was struggling with some kind of um, building tool, Legos maybe, I don't know. And a few other children were sitting nearby doing something else. And the teacher observed him walk over with so much kindness in his heart and bend down next to the other child and say, do you need help? Can I help you? And another little girl um, that was right there it was such a, a powerful moment of kindness that she was engrossed in what she was doing. She completely shifted her attention to these two children. And then she smiled and she looked up at the teacher and she said, he's so kind. And knowing that he could hear this, she took that moment just to, to send the message home one more time. She looked at the little girl and she said, I know. He's one of the kindest souls I know. We all need that kind of affirmation. We need each other to see ourselves in that light. And we need our practices to inform that so that when we are coming to each other, we're coming from heart to heart, from soul to soul. There have been um, other experiences that I've had where some challenge has, has come up in working with uh, a, a child or a group, and I have been at a complete loss as far as what to do about it, how to help. Um, but I've found that when I come to the situation, knowing that whatever the difficulty is, it is rooted in some kind of misunderstanding, whether it's on my part or their part, some kind of growth and learning that their soul is asking for in the experience. 
And I found it incredibly helpful to, um, as was talked about yesterday, take them with me into meditation. And um, yes, hold them in light and to begin talking with their soul, asking their their spirit to help me understand what it is that they need to know, what it is that they need to to experience, to grow. And it's incredible. Sometimes the answer comes in a flash. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it you can feel like the unsticking of energy um, as the situation moves forward and resolves itself. Um, I had a student this year who he is he's wonderful and he's always testing the boundaries and exploring what's possible and and you know if if the group is going this way and I try to go this way what's going to happen and um we uh <laughs> we were working with uh, a set of life skills cards, charts that are available through Education for Life. Um, and they, they're a way of working and developing life skills and um, included are very, very practical and fun exercises that you can do. And so as a class, we decided that we wanted to uh, develop concentration. And as one of the one of the children in my class absolutely loves meditation, and we do little bits of meditation periodically. But he said, "Well, can our class goal be to meditate every day?" And I said, "Okay." Uh, and then we talked a little bit more. Finally, we decided that we were going to uh, build on our class meditation. Now, I work with seven year olds, so they're, our meditations are about thirty seconds to a minute long. <laughs> but we decided that we were going to meditate for a minute the first day, for two minutes the second day, for three minutes the next day. Um, And most of the kids were on board, and I could feel there was a momentum with this that that we could carry it. If I had said, this is what we're going to do, it would have fallen flat. But they they were on board, so here we go. So day two comes around, and we do our two minutes of meditation, and I ring the bell at the end, and we listen for the, the sound to disappear, and we end. And uh, everybody gets up. It's time for math. We start meditating before math is very useful, by the way. <laughs> we start to go about our business, and this little guy I was telling you about, he goes, do you think I can meditate through our whole lunchtime? And I I wasn't present with him. I just said, yeah, yeah, you probably could. And then I walked off. (laughs) Time for math. Let's get going. Um, The next day, three minutes of meditation. Same question at the end. Do you think I could meditate through my whole lunch period? And this time I had a little bit more presence of mind. And I said, "Um, yeah, you probably could. I won't be in the classroom. I have to be on the the playground. But if you would like to come in here and meditate, go for it. He didn't. So, but I went home that night and he was, he kept running through my mind and I kept thinking, what was that all about? I don't, I don't know what that was. 
And so um, during meditation, at the end, I, I often bring my students to mind. And he came up, and I thought, what was that? And do I need to pay attention? That was two days in a row. Same question. It feels important. And uh, so I thought, okay, I can't give him a lunch period. I just don't have that wiggle room. But I, I came up with a plan. So I came back the next day, and I said, okay, you guys, we're going for four minutes today. At the end of four minutes, if you want to keep meditating, okay, I will stay here with you. I will ring the gong every minute. You can meditate as long as you want. And I said, but I, I need the cooperation of the rest of the class because when you finish meditating, your task is then to silently excuse yourself from circle and start your math. And uh, they were all kind of intrigued. And I could see this little guy going, oh, as long as I want. So this continued. Um, any guesses how long? 43 minutes. <laughs> Wasn't me. <laughs> um, and he was the driving force with it. I can tell you that it was not perfect stillness. Um, but but they, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't quit. Um, and the extraordinary thing was the way the rest of the class responded. I have never experienced a more peaceful, a more quiet, a more concentrated a more loving moment in our classroom ever. The kids who finished, there was no expectation that they needed to go longer. They simply got up. They had the, the freedom to do what they needed to do, and they started. Every time the bell rang, they'd kind of turn around and notice what was happening and then go back to their work. And two of the children who I have the, the hardest time with their concentration in the classroom they were the only other two children who stuck with him through the 43 minutes of quiet. And I, at the end of it, I thought, I'm so glad that I tuned in. Yes, for him, but for those two children and the rest of the class to have that experience, which there is no amount of planning or creating that I could have done to craft a moment like that. It was purely from trying to listen in and see what those souls were needing in that moment. The more that we can tune in and listen and try to support not the behavior on the outside, but the, the asking, the yearning, the looking for on the inside, whether it's with our children, our parents, our colleagues, our friends, those are the moments when we can really help ourselves and help each other to have deeper experiences along this, this journey home. Um, thank you all for these moments together. It was lovely to share with you, and I look forward to many more moments on our journey home. Namaste, everybody. My name is Kamran, and I am uh, the eternal Atman. Um, so if you want to know about me, some people think that I'm a teacher or that I'm in the monastery here at the village or um, that I meditate this long or eat this for breakfast and that for dinner. No, I'm the eternal Atman, I'm pretty sure. And looking around here, 
I see a lot of eternal Atman in all of you as well. And that's the theme of today, is learning how to relate from higher self to higher self. But <clears throat> the theme of the day is also people. And if we want to talk about people, we have to understand what people are made out of. Uh, so let's stand up and stretch for a moment. So just stretch, yeah. Stretch out. You can energize. Let's energize a few times. Do double breathing. And stand up tall and close the eyes. Tense the whole body with a double inhale. Relax the whole body with a double exhale. And feel on a deep, deep level the body as energy. Take a couple deep breaths if you need to get there. Feel every cell in your body, every atom, as energy and light and vibration. Cool. Let's have a seat. So, some of you guys may think that you are also uh, what you do or uh, where you live or, you know, you're a doctor or a builder or a quantum physicist. By the way, are there any quantum physicists in the audience today? Are you really a quantum physicist? I'm so sorry. I'm going to talk about quantum mechanics a little bit and I don't understand what I'm talking about. So I apologize. But actually, I do know what I'm talking about because, uh, and by the way, thank you so much for what you do. Um, (laughs) uh, Quantum quantum mechanics is a great study for yogis, and it's really the beginning of um, the merging of ontology and practitioners of consciousness, people who study consciousness, and where science is is headed. And these two things are coming together, and it's going to be a really, really exciting time to live. Um, so I want to talk about some different uh, terms that quantum physicists use. And of course, one of the difficulties of, um, that many scientists have uh, studying the uh, quantum field, the quantum realm, is that we just don't have the language to describe what we're seeing and what our experiments are proving. Um, but of course, as yogis, we know exactly what their experiments are proving, And you don't have to own a Hadron Collider or have a PhD in quantum physics. Maybe it helps. But when you meditate, what you're doing is you're removing your consciousness from the mechanical world of duality. And you're feeling yourself as a being of energy. And you're also tapping into something within you that is a reflection of the entire universe. And also the entire universe is a reflection of you in that moment. And the stronger that we can create a connection between our outer consciousness and that inner consciousness, which is who we truly truly are, the more we merge with our higher self. And uh, if we can take that higher self out of meditation, if we don't stop meditating when we stop meditating, we meditate out the door, we meditate in all our relationships, we meditate at work, What that means is that we don't lose that connection with the higher self when we interact with the world, with people, and with everything that we do and everything that we are. Uh, 
Recently, maybe some of you read this article about China breaking the record for the longest distance traveled uh, using quantumly entangled particles. And you're laughing. It's not, maybe it sounds funny, and entanglement is a very funny word for a yogi because we all know what it's like to be entangled with God, and we all know what it's like to be entangled with the lower self and our lower nature and entangled with maya. But So China uh, is moving in this direction that science is also moving in, um, which is exciting for us as humans because pretty soon we might have things like quantum internet and quantum cell phones. Quantum computers are already in development. Um, but as yogis, you know, we, we are quantum beings. We are beings that have the entire universe present in every atom, behind every atom of who we are and what we are. And in fact, I think one day scientists will realize, or maybe some already are experimenting with this idea, this theory, the entire universe is already in a state of entanglement. Uh, and the power that human beings have, which is, if you think about it, a cosmic power, is that when we think that we are separate or that our world is separate from eternity, it becomes separate. That's a pretty powerful, a powerful thing that human beings can do. So, you know, I hate to break this to all of you, but you are currently in samadhi right now. And only by thinking that you're not in samadhi, you're not in samadhi. But if you want to go back to samadhi, just think that you're in samadhi and you'll go there. It's really easy. And entanglement also teaches us something about this great field, this Akashic field or this field of eternity or God. It teaches us that when you want to bring something out of its eternal nature, all you have to do is measure it. That's how quantum, that's how entangled particles work. When you measure them, they stop becoming possibility and they start becoming what we call reality. So, you know, as yogis, when we measure our meditation or if we measure each other's personality, what we're doing is we're creating that reality for that person or for ourselves. And I hope that makes sense to you guys because this is really the most important, most empowering thing you can give yourself as a human being, as a being of light, but also as a spiritual practitioner. Do not underestimate the power of identity and the power that you have as a cosmic being to create your own reality merely by what you observe. And, you know, if you're in tune with your higher self, if you're in tune with your guru, with God, then measuring's not so dangerous. You're going to measure peace in your life. You're going to look at other people from your higher self to their higher self, and you're going to think, wow, what a beautiful person that is, no matter what it looks like they're doing in the moment. You may have, a, have an argument with them, or you may have a fight with them, or you may see them being violent or being a, a self-centered person, but that is just the personality. That's just their age. That's just their upbringing. That is just their current spatial-temporal circumstance, which is not real. And if you can convince somebody else that their spatial-temporal circumstance is not real, you can instantly put another human being in their higher self, just by your presence and awareness and connection from higher self to higher self. That's the power that you have all the time, right now. I really hope that you guys are not looking up here and seeing me as a person. I hope that you're relating to me higher self to higher self. You think I'm up here giving a talk and you're sitting in those chairs listening to me? No, that's not what's happening. Uh, 
think for a moment, imagine, visualize, feel that we are a group of souls. And by the way, if you're watching on the internet or if you're tuning in somewhere else in the world through meditation or some other way, the quantum field doesn't care about where you are or how close you are. It just, it's instantaneous. So feel that we are a group of higher selves having a party on the astral plane or the causal plane. And that whatever words are exchanged from speakers to listeners and whatever thoughts we think those words engender, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much going on behind the scenes. And so that what's happening behind the scenes is truth. And if we can be in tune with that truth, then we'll be in tune with our higher self. And if we're in tune with our higher self, we can help other people be in tune with their higher selves. And if enough people are in tune with their higher selves, the higher self of the world will come out. Global warming and and, uh, war and these monumental problems that have been created in the world, well, guess what? We created them. We measured our own separateness from the source of everything that is good. And, you know, in in quantum physics, uh, there are these two terms. Maybe you've heard of them. The first one's called entropy. And what entropy is, is it's a measure of the lack of energy and opportunity and possibility in the moment caused by our past actions. So it's the nature of cause and effect. So things have, if we're, if we're acting out of tune with our divine nature, as we move forward in time, we have less energy, less opportunity, less possibility. Well, thank God, there's also this thing called syntropy, which is really interesting to study. And it is energy harmony and order, possibility coming to you right now from the future. And you get it for free. All you have to do is tune in. So, hopefully you guys will continue to politely sit and listen to me. And I will continue to speak some words up here. But um, I, what I really want to share with you, like uh, Dave said, is... First, it's just to stress the importance that it is our spiritual duty to relate to each other through the veil, the mask of personality, of age, of fashion and haircuts. All the things that we think we see when we look at people is just not real. And it's a sobering but empowering thought that if you get stuck at that level, you make that person that personality. If you look at somebody else and you see a being of divine love, you are literally manifesting that higher reality for them. So you see, as yogis, we have a pretty big responsibility. And we also have a lot that we're working against if you look at the state of consciousness in the rest of the world. But fortunately for us, we as meditators are learning to increase our power of awareness And so the goodness that we are drawing into the world through our higher self and through tuning into higher reality and manifesting higher reality is becoming much more powerful than all the other crazy things that are happening. And you can feel this when you meditate today. There is actually more energy and possibility open for meditators today than there is negativity and entropy for the world. So it may not look like Uh, things are getting better in the world. But in fact, they are getting dramatically better. Consciousness is receiving a major boost. And it doesn't matter how much uh, matter tries to fight back because matter is subservient to energy and consciousness.
You know, I remember once, um, all, we, all of us up here are teachers, sort of. Um, some of us teach children, some of us teach adults. Um, and I, if you are a teacher or have you ever worked in an office place or uh, had to go to an office to make some copies at a copy machine, you'll understand this next story. I once saw a woman totally defeated by a copy machine. <laughs> she was, I walked in, talk about entropy, I walked in the room and she was, you know, collapsed in a puddle on the ground with this copy machine in front of her and there was ink bleeding out of the machine, there was paper all over the place. It, there was a, it was a battle scene. And I couldn't believe it. You know, here, here this copy machine was, and this woman was, you know, this cosmic being, totally defeated by this situation. Well, she had had a hard day. I talk, she was my friend. I talked to her a little bit. And uh, the copy machine was just the last straw. But uh, throughout the day, this reality of frustration had sort of wrapped itself around her. And she tried to fight it with, you know, positive thoughts and uh, trying to tell her just to get out of it. But, you know, sometimes the more we fight these things, the tighter they wrap around our reality. And then if they become a reality, then we're actually manifesting it with our, our spiritual power. Another time, um, I remember uh, this man who was my neighbor. And I was out walking my dog. And um, my dog was, is a very sweet Labrador retriever. She's large and cuddly. And, but she does eat cats. She has this <laughs> deficiency. And uh, there was this cat sitting at this man's doorstep, and his door was slightly ajar. And uh, my dog, you know, I was probably doing some joppa or something and not paying attention to my dog. And my dog bolted, and the leash slipped out of my hand, and the cat ran through the, the crack in the door, and my dog rammed through the door. And there was this very loud uh, cartoon sound. It was sort of like... Uh, glass breaking and people shouting and cats and dogs making noises and there was this whirlwind of cat and dog and furniture happening. And then my dog ran, ran out really, really fast, followed by this very, very red man who was just furious. He was in a rage. And so I got my dog leashed and this man, this man assumed a position that was a couple centimeters away from my face. Um, I could see the pores of his skin and the red of his eyes, and he really let me have it. He was yelling at me. I could tell what he had for breakfast. I could feel the heat coming off his face. It was powerful. And I didn't even think, should I apologize? I didn't have time to think. I was just totally blown open. And, you know, I felt a lot of, a lot of compassion and, and love for this man. Um, it was a very intimate moment, in a way, <laughs> I suppose. And I just walked away wondering, you know, what, what kind of day did he have or what kind of year or life that would cause somebody to, to get so far out of tune with the higher self? Because remember, that's what entanglement is. It's measurement. So if you ever feel frustrated or even just a little impatient, all that is is maya. Remember, maya is not this bad thing. Maya is a, a quantum machine that just measures the current state of affairs. If you feel impatient and you say, wow, I'm feeling a little impatient or frustrated or angry with this person, all the quantum field is telling you, hey, you're a little uncoordinated from your higher self right now. And if it happens within, well, guess what? It manifests as lack of energy and unwillingness or even depression and sadness. These aren't real things. 
and they're not meant for us to be taken seriously. They are measurements that tell us whether or not we are in tune with our higher self. So again, that is the power that we have as cosmic beings. We are co-creating our reality right now in this moment. And when we meditate, we are creating a sanctuary of space within us for the higher self to be a part. You know, that's why it's so, so important for all of us. You know, Master gave us the energization exercises, which I think more than anything else uh, convinces us, convinces us on a deep quantum level that we are beings of energy. And if you can convince yourself of that, it becomes real. And if it becomes real, then something really mystical happens. You occupy this space and time where you can participate in the world because energy and matter are two sides to the coin on one side, or one side to the, the coin on one side. But also energy is directly connected with the causal world and the realm of spirit. And so you become this bridge between heaven and earth. If you become identified with matter, you could still, you know, use energy to get things done, but you've lost your connection to spirit and to your higher self. And if you enter purely the realm of, of the causal plane, then you're probably not going to get out of your meditation ever. And you won't be very much used to people on earth. So that is why we need to be beings of energy. We need to be a bridge, each one of us in our own unique way. We all came to, to earth for the same reason, actually. So even though we are unique, we all came. We heard this call in the astral, astral plane, you know, earth's in trouble. These people don't know what they're doing anymore. The ship's going down. So we said, oh, we better incarnate. And then you know, we're born. Some stuff happens. And we forget. And then all of a sudden we think, geez, I'm in trouble. I'm, I feel like a sinking ship. But that's not why you came here. You came here to manifest divine consciousness, to save the planet. I mean, the superhero movies are right. You guys came here to save the world. It's no joke. And the world has a higher self too. It's called Satya Yuga. And the more we can stay in tune with the world as a Satya Yuga higher self, the more we'll help manifest that on earth. So don't watch the news and measure the current state of affairs. You're strengthening it. Anytime you strengthen, you're aware of fear and you consider that to be real, you strengthen that in the world. Only measure higher self to higher self. And I want to end right now just with a quick um, healing technique that I use with my students. And we don't have time to really get into it, but hopefully you'll be able to pick it up. It's based on quantum mechanics. But like I said, you don't have to have a PhD. If you do have a PhD in quantum mechanics, that's going to help, I think. Um, but it's powerful. And, it's, and it goes like this. You know, we, a lot of times we meditate and we rub our hands together and we put our hands up and we send out this vibration of Om, which is great. It's great to send out the vibration of Om. But, you know, vibrations are a little limited. They have to pass through matter and they weaken over time. So let's practice this healing technique. So let's sit up in our chairs and close our eyes and just take a really a deep diaphragmatic breath or two. Center yourself in your spine Feel that you're creating a space of energy within the body just through awareness and intention that the higher self is who you truly are. You are a bridge between heaven and earth. You can feel your body, but you can also feel spirit through energy. And take a couple deep breaths and really ground yourself in that truth 
that you are your higher self. Feel the guru or God, but really feel the entire universe is at your disposal. What you just did is that you recognized your higher self. So open your eyes, but don't lose that feeling. Now what I want you to do, to do like uh, uh, Gyandev said, I want you to look around to everybody around you. But as you look around, really be careful that you don't lose that focus at the spiritual eye, that grounded identity as the higher self, you know, just gazing through these eyeballs, um, just the whole cosmos scanning the room. And as you look at other people, you're, what you're going to see eventually as you put this practice you know, into your life is that you don't have to send blessings from point A to point B. So close your eyes again. There's no time. There's no space. Salute the higher self in every soul around you. Every soul on the planet is just as much a part of your inner sanctuary. Not their personalities, thank God, but their higher selves. So your higher self is the higher self of the world. And if you can bring blessings and celebration and light into your own higher self and into your body, and you can call to mind people, you can call to mind the planet, You can call to mind situations or things to get done. But don't ever think that your energy has to leave your body and leave your center and go out to bless that thing or that person or the planet. By thinking of the planet, you make an instant entanglement between your higher self and the planet's higher self. And you know, all higher selves really care about is helping these egos somehow to go deeper on the spiritual path and to merge ever more completely with their higher self. You are the eternal Atman. We are the eternal Atman. Let's make that our reality, not only for ourselves, but for our species and for the planet. Namaste. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Swami Diksha, and I serve at the Expanding Light Retreat. Well, after hearing this inspiring talks, I will just tell you stories. And the stories will be about how meditation can help us to improve communication and service to other people. In the Indian teachings, there is a saying, the path of life is too narrow for God and the Guru to walk together. One has to give room to the other. The practice of meditation helps us to set the ego aside and allow room for God to flow through us. I read an interesting conversation between an Indian guru, Nimkaroli Baba, and his Western disciple, Ramdas. In this conversation, Nimkaroli Baba said to Ramdas, You know, Abraham Lincoln was a very good president. Do you know why? Because he was not the president. Christ was the real president. And Abraham Lincoln served only as his channel. 
Yogananda said about Abraham Lincoln that he was a great yogi in his past life. And the main practice of the great yogis is meditation. Swami Kriyananda talked about meditation as the only activity where we do not impose our will on the world. Meditation is a practice of self-offering. We offer up the ego for purification so God can flow through us. And when God flows through us, we become a cosmic friend, a friend that has no personal agenda. And therefore, our communication, our service, are harmonious and in alignment with truth. Some years ago, a woman came to the Expanding Light to attend a five-day course. It was called Making Meditation a Life Skill. At the end of the week, she made a commitment that for a period of three months, she will practice meditation every day for 30 minutes each day, and see what happens. As she started to practice every day, nothing happened. A month went by, two months went by, and nothing happened. She became a bit discouraged, but she kept her commitment. At the end of the third month, something did happen. One day, she was attending a big meeting in the company that she worked for. All the managers from the different departments gathered together to talk about how to improve things in the, in the company. They sat in a big circle in the conference room. And one man facilitated the meeting. He presented the topic and then he opened it for discussion. This woman raised her hand and offered a suggestion of how to improve things. Well, for some reason, her suggestion didn't go well with this man. He became very angry. And in front of everyone, he started to yell at her. To her utter surprise, his violent words never reached her heart. They came close But then they turned around and went right back to him. She felt that she was surrounded by a bubble of invisible light that protected her from the negativity. Everyone in the room was amazed at how calm she remained. And after this man stopped yelling at her, She calmly explained her point of view, and everybody agreed (laughs) that her suggestion was very good. Later, as she thought about it, she realized it was a daily meditation practice that strengthened her energy field and protected her from the negativity. So she decided to continue to meditate. But 
without expectations, not seeking results, but trusting in the power of meditation to bring her what she needs at a time that she needs it. A married man shared a story from his life. He and his wife both meditate, and they have good relationship. But one morning, during breakfast, they got into a heated argument. And because they had to go to work, they didn't have a chance to resolve it. The man said all day at work, I felt the heaviness in my heart because of the disharmony with my wife. And so when he went home that evening, the first thing he did, and you might not guess, is to ask his wife to go for a walk in silence. She agreed, and they went to the nearby park, and they walked in nature silently. And then they sat on a bench and meditated for a while. He said, as we meditated, a blanket of peace descended over us. The heaviness in his heart was gone. Harmony was restored. They both felt at peace, and nothing needed to be said. Sometimes meditation helps us to resolve issues without talking about them, without analyzing them. Swami Kriyananda said that in meditation, after we let go of the technique and sit in the silence, this is a very important time. This is the time that we commune with God, that we let go of thoughts and desires. It's not always easy to do, but when we're able to offer ourselves to God, to His will fully, and commune with Him in silence, then our consciousness expands. We're able to perceive a broader sense of reality, and we find solutions to daily challenges. I remember an Italian woman who shared with me what it was like to grow up in an Italian Catholic family. In her family, it was a custom habit to express an opinion about everything. (laughs) Whenever a family member would say or do something, every single family member would express their opinion. And so she grew up thinking that everybody did it. And I can add that growing up in a Jewish family, it was just the same. Well, after she got married and had her own children, she continued to share an opinion about everything. When she started to meditate, she felt great benefit from meditation. And before every meditation, she prayed to God to guide her in everything. Well, one morning, during her meditation, suddenly, 
she heard a loud voice inside of her, a voice that she perceived as the voice of God. And the voice said, shut your mouth. She couldn't believe it. She could not believe that God will say something like this to her. But later that day, when she saw her husband wanting, doing something, she was about to tell him what she thought. She remembered, shut your mouth. And she controlled herself and held back. Now, this was a moment of awakening. This was the first time in her life that she did not express her opinion. And she became aware of this deep habit. She was humble enough to admit that after all, God was a friend, and he gave her good advice. So she began to work on changing it. And her relationships with her, with her husband, with her children, improved. Sometimes meditation helps to see deep, ingrained habits. They don't serve us. So we can work on them and change them. Swami Kriyananda said, self-control is the beginning of union with God. This is a very good reminder. Self-control is the beginning of union with God. I have a woman friend she is a devotee of Yogananda Kriyaban, and she serves as a family court attorney. She works with dysfunctional families and abused children. This is not an easy job to have. What helps her the most to stay calm and strong, centered, is the practice of meditation. Every morning she gets up really early and she meditates for two hours or longer before going to work. During the day when she remembers, she practices japa, the repetition of the name of God, to help her stay calm. One time, the court assigned her to represent a woman who was emotionally unbalanced a teenage daughter was taken away from her and put in a foster home. When they first met, the woman client didn't trust her, and for the next year and a half, every time they met, the woman client spent most of the meetings berating her and threatening to fire her. After a, a, a year and a half, into their relationship. During one of the meetings, the attorney felt inspired while the, her client was berating her to look into her client, the point between the eyebrows, and to think of her as a child of God. The effect on the attorney was immediate. She suddenly felt immense compassion to her client, and for herself. She realized that in many ways, her client 
was her teacher, that she had similar fears, fears of being unloved, being rejected by society, not being appreciated, being misjudged, not being good enough. She recognized that the differences between them was only a matter of degree. That her client allowed her emotions to overwhelm her to the extent that she was not able to function. But she, the attorney, controlled her emotions through meditation. This was a turning point in their relationship. From that time, the attorney used every phone call, every meeting, as an opportunity to stay centered and compassionate, no matter what the client said or did. But she also started to tune in to her client, to listen to her more intuitively, so she can serve her better. She encouraged her client to express her feelings. And as she listened to her, she was able to translate her feelings, her concerns, into coherent legal documents and present, it, present them in the courtroom in an organized way. And the client felt it. She felt heard and supported. And she was very grateful for it. Well, at the end of a three-year relationship, the client no longer perceived her attorney as someone who is trying to hurt her, but as a friend, someone on her side. And I'd like to end with one more short story. This is a story about a woman who has been a disciple of Yogananda for more than 30 years. She also has been a good friend with Swami Kriyananda. Throughout the years of service, she taught meditation for a while, and then she stopped. In 2014, there was a great turmoil in the Middle East. This woman got into the habit of watching the news every day. And as a result, she became depressed. She became hopeless. And she had a hard time sleeping. One night, after she finally fell asleep, she had a superconscious dream. In this dream, Swami Kriyananda appeared to her. She was sitting in a room, feeling very sad about the situation in the world. And Swami walked in, and he sat down facing her. Immediately, she asked him out of desperation, Swami, what can we do to help the world today? Swami Kriyananda looked deeply into her eyes and he said, What the world needs today is meditation teachers. And then he disappeared. The next morning she woke up 
feeling joyful and hopeful. And she decided to start teaching meditation again. We can view meditation as a medicine. A medicine that helps us to wake up and to begin to remember who we truly are and why we are here. It's a medicine that helps us to live at peace with ourselves, with the world around us, and most important, to live at peace with God.